Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me I have two of our fellow elders, Don Carroll and Blake McCullough. So, Don, what are we doing today? Well, I have a quote that I hope helps capture the essence of our time today. So the quote is from an author uh, who is polarizing in and of himself. Uh, but I think, I think the quote helps us uh, really frame the spirit of our conversation. So I think, I know we'll cover a lot of ground. Uh, on a range of questions with Blake, so, you know, in an attempt to get to know Blake, or know more about Blake. Um, but also, we're going to participate in hopefully some biblical conversations between the three of us. So that, that's the idea. So, you know, the real hope is uh, our audience will hear and enjoy uh, some winsome childishness <laughs> as well. <laughs> so uh, the quote I have is from C.S. Lewis. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. And I can already hear uh, the proverbial groans in our audience. (laughs) Right? Because I think uh, CS has both sides of his aisle packed with fans and critics alike. Of course he does. But uh, my thoughts on CS, and I hope you would agree, is I think we need to stand in the middle of the aisle and be both fan and critic. Agreed. Okay. So with that, CS Lewis says, and I quote, critics who treat the word adult as a term of approval instead of as a merely descriptive term cannot be adult themselves. To be concerned about being grown up, to admire the grown up because it is grown up, to blush at the suspicion of being childish. These things are the marks of childhood and adolescence. And in childhood and adolescence they are, in moderation, healthy symptoms. Young things ought to want to grow. But to carry on into middle life or even into early manhood, this concern about being adult is a mark of a really arrested development. When I was 10, I read fairy tales in secret and would have been ashamed if I had been found doing so. Now that I am 50, I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of being childish and the desire to be very grown up. I love that quote. So with that, gentlemen, let's roll. All right, Blake. All right. Tell us your full legal name. Christian Blake McCullough. Okay. So you're a middle name guy, too. I am. Wow. It's a good club. It is. Interesting. Um, But before I get into some really heavy-hitting Q&A with Blake, (laughs) Blake, just to set the record straight, can you tell us what time it is? Wait, wait, wait. But before you answer that, I I just wanted you to look at your watch, because literally (laughs) it looks like... And folks in the listening audience, like, it literally looks like he robbed it off a five-year-old. Okay. So, really what I want you to tell us is the story about when you robbed a five-year-old. Can you, can you, no, no, no. So, so Lawson has told me in private before that he thinks it came out of a vending machine. Did it not come out of a vending machine? And y'all look, it, it looks like that watch we all had when we were in... Not all of us, but some of us had an elementary school that, like, like it's got the wrist protector. It can calculate things. It makes beeps. There's, like, little cartoons that come across the screen. So, seriously, set the record straight. How did you come about this watch? I mean, it's just a watch that I bought on Amazon. You bought it? For $12. (laughs) I mean, it's it's just a Casio, tried and true, okay. tells time. Uh, Y'all check his watch out the next time you see Blake. He says he has a man's watch made out of metal, but he seems. Is this to why you read the childish it. things? 
Well, yeah, like yes. I think it's a mark of his maturity. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so speaking of a five-year-old, I know you have a firstborn. His mm. name is Isaiah. Indeed. And someone shared with me that his nickname is Zay. Yeah. Is that going to stick? I hope so. I mean, various Zaya, Zay, uh huh, both both okay. kind of happen in our okay. house, so I hope so. Okay. And how, how old is he? He is 10 months. Oh, wow. Okay. Not even a year yet. No. And if y'all hadn't seen him, he's a, a cute baby. Agreed. Cute. He looks um, like a grown man. You put a bow tie on him, yeah. and he's like... There's pictures that Sarah took of him the other day I saw on Facebook where she was talking about how difficult it is to take pictures of a baby, and he had this, like, turned, look, looked like looking behind him to the camera, and it looked like he was modeling. He was cameo. I mean, mm-hmm. just yesterday, he was, he was like, messing with a book sitting on the couch, and I was like, like, are we about to just, like, read together? Well, the reason I, I asked you that is because it leads me to my next question. Have, have you and Sarah discussed, like, your family dating policy, like, like for your children? Like, do you know what that's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, I think based off of mistakes that I made in high school dating, yeah. mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have a, it is my desire to have a strict, pretty strict policy on dating. Um, I think. Color that, man. Color that for us. I, I'm just not a fan not of mistakes. the high school dating. We're not going to chase that rabbit, but just tell us, like, what, what do you think that early on structure will look like? Like, rules and boundaries. Like, I think if you're going to quote-unquote date in high school, then you're going to quote-unquote date in my presence. Yeah. You know, like, I yeah. think it's a thing that happens at my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and just... But honestly, I mean, that's a discipleship thing from the beginning. Yeah. Like, I would rather my children, obviously this is my hope, but I would rather my children be in a place where that's what they desire um, mm-hmm. than me, like, being in the part of the police yeah. of, like, what's happening. Yeah. Um, I might have mentioned your wife's name, Sarah. If, if I did or didn't, t- tell us her full name. Sarah Davis McCullough. Okay. So how long have y'all been married? Uh, this weekend will be five years. Oh, wow. Oh. Anniversary weekend. Yeah. Any plans? There and are be, plans. be aware, like, if you're surprising her, like, this may come on before you Yeah, say. so I won't say, okay. but I will say, but like, you we, have a, we have a tradition on our anniversary of going to that cheesecake place downtown. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. The one where, the, like, the guy's uh, the really one. rude to yeah. you yeah. when Peaches you order. Cream. Yes. Uh, That's the one. And so that will be part of it, but okay. the rest is a secret. Sweet. Um, besides serving as an elder, and, and you do so, like, I, I, would, I would describe more bivocationally. So t- your day job, w- what's your day job? I teach English to 11th graders at Kingsbury High School. Okay. And Sarah's day job? It's a night, night job. job. Oh, sorry, uh, excuse me. Her she, full-time job is a night job. Yeah, she works part-time at Methodist Germantown Hospital in the ICU. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm on... I'm going to give you kind of like what my next question is, and then i I got I got a comment to make. So when is the last date you and Sarah went on? And I, I want you to describe that for me. But uh, for our listening audience, uh, and I hope I don't offend anyone in our audience when I say, and these are words to live by, so men, uh, lean in. One must woo before you woo-hoo. So let, <laughs> let that sink in. Now, Blake, uh, your last date. The last date we went on was 
it was a few weeks ago, we went to, uh, we got carry out, you know, be a responsible citizen yeah. from Parish Grocery in Midtown. Oh, wow. And ate it at Overton Park. Nice. And uh, there were a lot of bugs at Overton Park, so it was kind of a little, <laughs> it was kind the of a rushed experience. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was a good time. Nice. Yeah. Do you make a, a, do you have like a regular, like, like your own personal dating policy? Like, you know, is this once a month or is this? Uh, I think it was pretty regular pre-coronavirus and then it kind of got weird yeah. uh, with childcare and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think regular dating is like, I don't, I don't know how I would do marriage without it. And I can tell when we haven't been oh, yeah. on, on a date. And I think that was part of kind of the, the shutdown. Mm-hmm difficulty was there wasn't any anything like that to break up just mm-hmm. like this day-to-day of yeah the same thing um so shifting gears a little bit um I, we we all may or may have not seen the commercials about she sheds are y'all familiar with this commercial she sheds so somebody told me that you have a he shed <laughs> yes indeed okay so w- w- tell me about this he shed like what like what's the setup like how did you know Give, give me some color here. So we were under contract on a house that had a really sweet library in it. And the contract fell through. And so we bought a different house. And in the back is just this, I guess you could call it a shop, right? No, no insulation, no ceiling, just like four walls and a roof and a concrete floor. And so one of the deals that I made with Sarah was that like we would be, I would be able to turn this into what I have lovingly called a study. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so we put a lot of work into it. It's kind of been my summer project. It is now to the point where it has flooring, shelves. It is almost ready to be a workable office. He Shed is a name. Uh, but I am workshopping more, you know, like names that would be yeah, specific yeah. to this place. Admirable. Yes. Can we hear like your top three names? No, I mean, that's what I, I kind of want to crowdsource that. Like, I don't oh, know. Okay. I've been calling it the study, but... Well, you need to talk to a more mature audience. No doubt. <laughs> real names for this <laughs> no one. No doubt. Um, so, it's got a lot of books in it. Somebody told me about. Indeed. Okay. How, how many books are in there? I don't know. I haven't counted, but there's like... I'll say one of the... Two of the walls are 20 feet wide, and one of those walls is filled floor to ceiling with books. Okay. Um, yeah, so for everybody listening, I guess help Blake out with some admirable names for the space. Yes, please. Um, uh, have you read all those books? No. Okay, interesting. So You never and, ask a pastor that question. Well, well this, this leads our me. Feelings. Yeah, certainly. So this <laughs> leads me. An anonymous source has asked me to clarify with you. Does skimming a book count as reading a book? Yes and no. It okay. depends on the <laughs> it depends on the genre of the book, to be okay. honest. Okay. Um, someone else shared with me that you have a possible invention forthcoming. A stamp which marks any book in your library is questionable. So obviously <laughs> you've got some questionable books because you need a stamp. What purpose does this serve you? Uh you have to know what the wrong people believe to know how to combat people who were wrong. Like but but think, this stamp, though, is in the event of your death, that someone comes yes, into the heat yes. shed and judges your library and, and, and considers you wanting, I guess, was the Indeed. idea. Yeah, so the stamp would be to just say, for research purposes only. 
and that's just in case, like when I die, I don't want Isaiah and whatever future children we have to come in and be like, why do you have the shack? Like, is this good? Right. Is this good in biblical uh, yeah. things that we should study? And so just to be safe for um, research purposes only. Yeah. So uh, speaking of home, you've got a dog. Indeed. I've heard it's ginormous. Yes. What type of dog is it? He is a uh, great Pyrenees mixed with poodle. Okay. So, did you seek this dog out specifically? Is this a real breed or? I I think the breed was accidental. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but and what's his name? His name is Moses. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we get a lot of jokes about like he could part the Red Sea because people are afraid when they see yeah. him. He's huge. But uh, no, I'm allergic to dogs, and I so I needed a, like a hypoallergenic oh, dog, mm-hmm. but I was also not able to afford most hypoallergenic dogs, and so I found Moses on Craigslist. Nice. Um, cooking skills. Someone shared with me that you've got some serious cooking skills. So tell me the last meal, and I, like me personally, like I I hold myself like in that same regard. Like I, I believe I can cook. I enjoy eating my own food, and so I, I'm, I, I think we share this. So you, you'll understand where I'm coming from. The last meal, what was the last meal you cooked for your guest which even wowed yourself? Ooh, that's a good question. So for me, I had some guys over and we, and I made poppy seed chicken, which I feel mm. like is one of those things where it's like, mm. poppy seed chicken is poppy seed chicken. And it's like, it's all the same, but there was something. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but they were all saying it. And I was, you know, thinking it silently to myself. This is the best poppy seed chicken wow. I've ever eaten in my wow. life. Wow, that's hard to do to take like a baseline casserole yeah, and elevate no it. And so that I was, and especially just I'm, I'm assuming you just followed the recipe. I just kind of like I rolled with. Oh, I just rolled oh, with. You, you know what I was feeling? Yeah, cooking is an it. art to me. Certainly, it is. It hurts me to read a read off a page what to do. Nice. Yeah, I can. Okay. It okay. steals the joy of cooking, no doubt. And if if there is a page. It, I kind of, you know, I skim it. Yeah, and and then you interpret. And those it. are the books you skim. <laughs> and do what I need to do. Um. So somebody told me you're a big coffee snob. I mean, snob is a. Mm, I use it as a word of endearment. Okay, like it, then, yeah. it means like yeah. If you have, you're a coffee, if you have ninja, positive connotations to snob, like whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. Like you hold your own personal affection as credible when it comes to coffee. Yeah, I used to say that I wasn't a snob, that I was just, like, nerdy about it. Uh-huh. And then I, like, I guess I hadn't had bad coffee in a while because the first time I drank bad coffee right. after that, I was but like, But then Whoa. you came to church on Sunday morning and you had it here. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> and for those that don't know, like, I, I personally believe if you're looking for good coffee, don't come to church. Go to Blake's house. Amen. <laughs> we give you gospel here, not coffee. Yeah, exactly. Bring your own if you want it to be good. Um, In your own cup. Indeed. So I hear uh, you're a cold brew aficionado, oh, and Lawson tells me this. Really? Like, that cold brew I had at your house that time it changed my life forever. Like I, things that Lawson speaks about, like and and his stirred his affection, <laughs> like I like he's super picky. Aren't true, you? true. Yeah. yeah. So when he's dialed in on something, I'm like, you know, holy moly. So I was jealous. I've never had this. So, so um, tell me about your. I guess tell me the steps in making cold brew. So essentially, what is the recipe? And folks, like before he shares, grab a pen and follow along and write yes. this down. And if you don't have a pen nearby, we will be posting this recipe 
on our Facebook page under this podcast. Yes. So with that, go for it. So I have a special carafe that I use for cold brew, but you can really use a French press if, if you have one of those. Okay. I feel like that's more of a common You're using whole maker. bean or use whole bean? Whole bean. Okay. So we're going whole bean, ground. What type of grinder? Do um, have? I have? Burr or blade? I have a burr. Okay. I, I think blade is, we can get into this, but yeah. blade grinders cut coffee like like they don't care what coffee has been through. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. You get a blade grinder. Like you get a blade grinder, heart. in my opinion, for like homemade spice rubs. Indeed, yeah. yes. The burr grinder is for the bean. Yes. It loves the bean. It doesn't mm. make the bean hot. You're not going to make the beans angry. Sure so if you want angry, I guess, any brew, especially cold <laughs> brew, use a blade grinder. Indeed. And in burr, with the burr, you get the, you get the same size grind for all of your beans, right. which means that your coffee is going to be less bitter. And so that's important. So burr grinder... Set to a kind of like a coarse grind, like a like a little sea salt, you know? And then uh, if you're going French press, you, you pour that in there, um, typically like long enough or far enough up to where the plunger can still go all the way down, but you're not um, going to overflow it. And so put that in there. You put water that is cold from your sink, not like refrigerated water. Um, nothing of that nature. So that's kind of like the misnomer with cold brew is people think that it needs to be ice cold. That's not the case. So you just kind of your cold water from your sink, fill it up, do a little stir. And then another mistake a lot of people make is that they put it in the refrigerator and that's not what you're supposed to do. Right. You leave it out for 14 hours, 14 to 24. Okay. So if you're a stronger coffee person, 24 is fine. But 14 is kind of, for me, the sweet spot of like, you kind of get that like, caramelly kind of like sweetness mm. to your cold brew um, without, me, without sugar you know <laughs> okay. and so 14 hours on the counter chilling coffee and water together you plunge it um, if you're a little worried about soot like kind of the mm-hmm. the chalkiness at the end that that happens with the with the uh, version in the french press you can kind of pour it through a filter one time if you want um, cheesecloth Cheesecloth. Cheesecloth. Yeah, if you have it. If you have it on hand. Um, But yeah, so that's my, that's one cold brew method that I really love. And then there's another one that takes, it's a flash brew, which is where you brew hot coffee over ice. Okay. With half. But that's not your favorite. It's not my favorite. Okay. Because we're we're wanting like a premium recipe for a premium experience. There there it is. All right. So let me prick your brain. Okay. This is about the office of elder. Okay. So sh- shifting gears, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we went from coffee to the role of elder. So is elder an, an office and a title? And, and let me clarify, because th- this is this could be kind of a loaded question. So it I, is a loaded question. It is. It's not it is so fun. It's loaded. All right. So follow with me. Okay. So is elder an office and a title? Meaning, doctor is a profession, office, and a title. An individual with the MD degree would legally and rightfully introduce himself as Dr. Blake McCullough. Mm-hmm. In the same way, would it be accurately appropriate to speak of an elder pastor in the same way linguistically? Meaning, is it an office with the title, or is the title only to be used to reference who is filling the office, but not as an active title which is assigned to the one exercising the authority of the office when addressing said individual? So take, for example, a banker. We would never introduce a banker with the title Banker Don. 
Yes. But rather, this is Don, and he is a banker. Mm. So now let me give you a few examples. Okay. Which is correct. Hi, I'm Lawson Harlow. I'm a pastor at Mercy Hill. When I introduce him, it would be, this is Lawson Harlow, and he is my pastor, or this is Pastor Lawson Harlow. My point is, should we be addressing each other as Elder Lawson, or rather just addressing, as take for example here, this is Lawson, and he's a pastor? Your, uh, your opinion? I think the latter. Lawson as a pastor? Yeah. And we should never introduce, in any setting, like Banker Don, or <laughs> Dr. McCullough. I, I think there is a setting you can say, if you're in the local church, then like this is Pastor Lawson, Pastor Don. Okay, so you'd you know? be fine with it there contextually. Right, because the thing, like we, as an elder, like you can say you're an elder all day long, but like if you're not an elder in a local church, then like what's the point? Right. So I'm I'm cool with like within the bounds of the church, mm-hmm. especially like in, in Lord's Day worship, to be like this is Pastor Don or Pastor Lawson, I think. That's a helpful, like, setting you apart as who you are. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a fan of, like, that's your sole identity. Oh, and so, okay. like, on I Facebook, like, you're always Pastor Don or Pastor yeah. Lawson. Yeah. Which doesn't really happen with, with us, necessarily. It's more so of, like, a, a Lawson thing, like right. a lead pastor thing. Right. But, uh, you know, that's kind of a, yeah, I don't, I don't think that we should always... Always throw the pastor in front. Lawson's looking at me, y'all. I want to answer so bad. He's going to jump in. But he, he, we're not. <laughs> we're not. So moving on. So, uh, and, and you'll like my next question because my questions are always uh, lead-ins from where we previously were. So, uh, Blake yes. or Lawson, do you know where the term nitpicking comes from? <laughs> Why do you do this? Because <laughs> my last uh, question is totally getting in the weeds. <laughs> my guess is like I was kicking curious. something out of people's hair. Is that so? Something gnats, maybe it's knit, so it's a knit. So, do you know what what a knit is? is. So, a knit is a egg that a lice lays on the hair follicle. (laughs) And if you've never nitpicked, get ready because both of y'all have small children, and if they're in any sort of public school system or whatever, like and knits and lice love clean hair, so it's, it's not a dirty thing. So, uh, we would consider lice as pestilence, correct? Yes. Okay. So, I'm going to read an excerpt from Scripture, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. So, Genesis 2, 5 through 9 says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So, And then again, 3, 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword. So, was pestilence in the garden in the beginning? Did a lice 
do the type of damage it does in the beginning? Uh, we're shirking my question. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you this way. Did pestilence coincide as living and moving outside the garden, like coincide with Adam's life in the garden? Like, what's your thoughts? Like, because obviously, you know, do we read scripture and we're saying, like, Adam was taken from the ground and placed in the garden? Mm. And then he was kicked out of the garden. Yes. So I'm just curious, like, where within the creation narrative pestilence shows up? And we are nitpicking, y'all. I, I think it's fair to say that it was it was there outside. But, like, we have... But do we have any biblical Lawson is moaning, y'all. Like, Lawson's literally going to fall out <laughs> the back of his chair. Lawson, tell us what tell you us think. Tell us what no, you think, Lawson. No. Yes. Please. I know what we're doing. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. doesn't want to play. <laughs> I've played this game before. Okay. We're moving on. Okay. It's a fun question, and it's fun to think about. It is interesting. I had a, I literally had a conversation about this the other day, and it goes back to the fact that God didn't give us this information. Right. Yeah. So it's fun to speculate, yeah. right? And we can do that. Like, Within the realms of orthodoxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, certainly. Just like who wrote Hebrews. Yeah, we, know right. we don't know. Yeah, Paul wrote Hebrews. Certainly. No. I mean, we know this. You just That's haven't, <laughs> you just haven't agreed it with It entered us. into the canon of Scripture <laughs> under, the, under the assumption that Paul wrote it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, right, we'll see. We we'll see. Literally, like, hard turn to the right, okay? Or left. This is probably to the left. If you want to use left as bad and right as good. So, question about palm readers, psychics, and the likes there. What in the world? <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're renaming this, this podcast Journeys with Dawn. Yeah, for real. So, what would your warning be? And, and this is where we can all talk. So, like, Blake, these are not, like, you know... Feel relieved. <laughs> We're going to do the heavy lifting together. Mm. So what would your warning be to someone you encounter who practices and or participates with spiritual mediums? And, and I'm talking about mediums of all sorts, which propagate. And, and a lot of times when we think about mediums, we think about like living people. But there's certainly all sorts of things which operate as spiritual mediums that are not living things. So mediums of all sorts which propagate, they can through these means talk to the dead or see the future. And also, so I want to know, like, what would be, uh, you know, what would be your warning? And number two, just as a follow-up question, so keep this in mind: if they are contacting and interacting with the spiritual world, mm. and, and and I don't even say spiritual world; that may be giving you a loaded answer. I, I just want to operate from the blank page here. If they're if they're receiving messages, like, who would they be in contact with? And and I want to like just here's some thoughts I have about it. So as you, I'm going to give you time to think about this, right? So as Western Christians, we often disregard spirits, psychics, palm readers, fortune tellers as mere foolishness, belonging in the realm of cartoons mm. with ghouls, goblins, and trolls. So how should the people in our congregation and really Christians at large think through and interact with others who uphold beliefs and seek counsel in and through spiritual mediums? How do we hold true to biblical categories and engage the audience in truth? And me personally, like, I don't think it's wise to laugh and poke fun of those that are into using spiritual mediums, mm -hmm. but rather would say we need to uphold the truth of the Bible and speak forth from Scripture. And we take pity because we speak God's judgment and condemnation of those things while all the while being reminded, for if not for the grace of God, there go mm -hmm. I. Mm -hmm. So, Lawson, you first. Yeah, Do you so remember my two initial premise questions? So what would be your warning? Okay. And then who are they contacting if you're in fact getting 
message is. Yeah, the warning, first and foremost, is that it's idolatry. Mm. The the warning that Saul gives is right. Witchcraft right. is is of idolatry, which is laughable because he eventually commits this this heinous sin, mm. um, and it is heinous sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's heinous sin for multiple reasons. Number one, it's seeking revelation about the future from somewhere other than what God has revealed. That's right. Which essentially leads you into the hands of demonic forces, mm. and so who are they contacting? Um, I think on the rare exception of one occasion where God rebuked Saul mm-hmm. by calling up uh, Eli who had passed away, I think that was a genuinely Eli, mm-hmm. um, you are contacting demonic forces and literally you are you are playing with things that we should never touch. You said Eli, but you mean Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. Um, you know, con- yeah, so... Yeah, you're you're playing with you're playing with demonic forces. Yeah, and this goes this does go past that into not only here in America we deal with things like um, we deal with palm readers and Certainly. psychics and stuff like that. That most I would argue most are simply con artists. They're charlatans. Yeah, right? yes. But in our day and time, new age has entered into the mm-hmm. church, and right. that's that's what we're doing. And we would it call is, that like mysticism. Absolutely, yeah. mysticisms, and uh, and then even some some. Practices of yoga, yeah, are are dealing with the demonic, right? Blake, I, I mean, he he hit a lot of good points there. A- anything to add? I just think like the root being, we don't. It's the same thing that we were just talking about. Like we don't trust mm-hmm. in what God has said, mm-hmm. and like trust that that's enough for our knowledge of the future. Mm-hmm. It's just a dangerous place to be in general, mm-hmm. but it, it makes sense if that makes sense. Like yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. That it is prevalent in whatever prevalence it has because it just it it stems from this lack of trust that we have yeah. enough. Yeah. And so you're saying like you can reasonably understand why their behavior is what what it is and, and you would pity that. Yeah, because I think there are things like that or on the way to that right. that would seem a lot more culturally innocent. Yeah. That, you know, we're all tempted toward. Right. Right. Um, so let's jump into a hotly debated biblical topic, oh, which may be me meddling a bit, but Maybe. let's be honest, meddling is fun, mm. at least for the meddler. So I'm I'm behind the wheel over here. Uh, so Genesis six one through eight. Let's get our laughs out. So the Nephilim. Mm. Blake, what's your take? I actually don't know this. Let me give you, and let me give you, like, for the audience, like, you know, time if you're wanting to pull it up in your Bible and read. Um, I think these are the two widely held options here, which are, are they sons of God bearing children with daughters of men or demonic beings procreating with the women of earth? I think that, is that fair? Yeah. Is that the fair two yeah. categories which you can choose from? Like, and there's, which, certainly there's nuances, but yeah. Yeah. The face value, yeah. Uh, just just fun fact on this, my uh, one of uh, the pastors I served under believed the Nephilim were dinosaurs. Okay, sweet. Specifically. Yeah, I'm I'm more geared toward geared toward away from it being like demons. Right. And I think uh, sons of God, daughters of men makes more sense in my mind. Yeah, and I think you're with me because that that's I, that's the belief I hold and I hold it through being unequally yoked. Yeah. Right. And so, sons of God being led away into sexual relations with the children, women of darkness. That that, in my opinion, biblically, 
seems like a real category which does exist throughout the entirety of Scripture and its historical account. It's even applicable when we read 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, <coughs> for what partnership has light with darkness? Lawson? Uh, yeah, the sons of God, as we have clearly indicated in the book of Job, are angelic beings um, that would become... Yeah, Lawson's are, didn't. <laughs> so, I mean, to me, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty defensible. Number one, the only time you see sons of God in the Old Testament is there, so I think that's an angelic being reference. And then also later on you have this concept of, of demons that are held in chains, or, yeah, that are held in chains for their sins, which I think is referring back to that moment. Okay, so we have differing... For sure. Views. Yeah, yeah. Which leads me to my next question. Mm-hmm. In essentials, unity. Absolutely. In non-essentials, liberty. Mm-hmm. And in all things, charity. Hard, yes. Right? In all things, charity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, even charitable with the world at large. What do you mean? Uh, going back to the example of, like, palm reader, right? It's. It, I, I thought what the word maybe you were looking for, I used pity. It's like you looked at that behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you're charitable towards it, right? Mm. And so I think like that's a, like you're still upholding truth. You're affirming what Lawson's describing that the Bible upholds, which is truth with no mixture of error. Yeah. It is idolatry. Yeah. But yet instead of snickering and weeping, mm. right, that you're looking at them and being charitable towards them. Mm. Not not passing over their sins, but knowing that their sin is real and knowing that you you know, you, you want to see them come to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um so Are you about to move on from that? No. I'm gonna I'm gonna go okay. deeper into this. Okay. If that's a, if, yeah, are you good? I, yeah, I was yeah. gonna go with you. So why is being lovingly charitable so important for the Christian believer when engaging the world with truth and loss in yeah, so um, the first is look at the way our Lord interacts with the lost. Mm. Uh, when you see Jesus interact with people who are genuinely lost, there's a massive distinction between the way he, inter- he, he interacts with the lost person and the Pharisee. If there's any moment of harshness, right, in our Lord, his harshness is toward the Pharisee, mm-hmm. toward those who seek self-justification. Mm-hmm. There is a pity in him. As a matter of fact, like Mark, uh, when he writes, is just riddled with and he had compassion on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, if we want to, if we, if we say we're Christians, right, if we say we're followers of Christ, that should mean that we interact with the world the way that he interacted with the world. Mm-hmm. Recently, I've been reading through the Gospels, just looking at Jesus' interactions. And so my prayer has always has been recently, Lord, give me boldness and firmness when necessary, but help me be meek, mm-hmm. right? Like, just because I have the sword doesn't mean I have to swing it hard. Mm-hmm. I have to trust in its ability to cut. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we must, and I think according to Jesus' own command, deal gently with people mm-hmm. and allow the gospel to do the hard work. So... Um, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity. So as an example, just here here in our own midst, we demonstrate charity among ourselves. For sure. Because, I mean, for example, we just heard that Lawson believes the ability exists for fallen angels and mankind, <laughs> and mankind to procreate, mm. which I hold patently false and not even possible. I, I just denounce it, Lawson, with God forbid. <laughs> but as John Piper says, as Christians, we're not secularist, but rather supernaturalist. Mm. Hard agree. I think. I think. Lawson, I know you don't have anything to add here. So moving on, uh, Blake. How many children do you and Sarah want? Uh, we've thrown around a lot of numbers. I mean, whatever the Lord provides. Like I think three, four is a is a sweet spot. Oh, you yeah. know, going minivan. Yeah, no doubt. We've been looking at minivans. 
So uh, back to the topic of communicating with the dead. We're seeking to <laughs> obtain information about the future from a fortune teller. So I, I this this hit my plate this week. Like you know, it's like often like we look to I think trending media, social media for like what's happening in people's lives, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's a good litmus test. Oh, hard not, agree, right? So for me, it's like, and I'll, I'll, there are real actors in the story. So y'all, I'm not making this up, but I am going to anonymously tell this story. And this happened in my home. So somebody comes who lives in my home, comes home and says, I just had this experience. I came across a person in a setting and we started talking about signs from the dead. And do I believe, they were asking this individual who lives in my home, did, 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 did this person believe that they could get signs from the dead. And uh, when as far as somebody in that conversation uh, within the setting that they were having outside of my home, right, uh, said, well, I believe I'm a psychic. And so, you know, this, it, it really like, you know, it took me aback on like, how do you, in that setting, right, when you're like, and you're just, yeah. when you're hit on go, like, what's the go-to move that you go to? And I think a lot of times, like, what we argue with is our is often our own personal biases, mm. which is to go like, I'm a Western thinker, and those things don't exist patently. Yeah. Right. And so it's like right there, it's like I think we have to take captive that thought, and then and then work back to renew our own mind. Mm-hmm according to scripture and so I have a commentary um, and it's about it's from John Piper and it, he was asked about divination uh, from one of uh, someone he's interacting with and he, he gives a good response um, and I think it very biblical and thus very helpful um, before I start can either of you guess the passage of scripture that he'll go to Blake I'm thinking of the the man with the legion spirits okay. in the gospels, specifically on divination. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not that I can. Think you of. actually already mentioned it. So it was Saul. When oh he yeah, goes of course. To the witch yeah. of Endor huh. and yeah. summons Samuel. So that's yeah. what he goes to. So I'm going to read uh, just a little bit. So hang with me. John Piper says, uh, "This is his response." I'm quoting Samuel 28 has lots to say about consulting with necromancers and mediums who interact with the dead, and all of it is negative. Mm-hmm. The point here and throughout the Old Testament is that God's people should not consult with mediums, not because there's no such thing as communication with the dead, but because it is an abomination to try to communicate with the dead. The point is never in the Old Testament that it's impossible, but that it is wicked and sinful mm-hmm. and will bring down God's judgment if we do it. That's the short answer. Like his response. Yeah. yeah. Care for more? Sure. Okay. The situation in 1 Samuel 28 is that Saul and David have been at odds for a long time, and David is rising in God's favor to be the new king. And I love John's summation. Like He's paraphrasing the story, which is great for us. So Saul is becoming increasingly disobedient and unacceptable as God's king. Back in chapter 15 of of. Of Samuel, Saul disobeyed God and failed to destroy the Amalekites. Samuel the prophet confronts him and says that God has now rejected him as being king. He's torn the kingdom away from him. He's going to give it to David. Then Samuel says something very significant in 1 Samuel 15, 22-23. It's very relevant to what's going to happen over in chapter 28. Saul had defended his disobedience 
by saying he intended to sacrifice some of the mm-hmm. stolen things to God. Mm-hmm. Samuel says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, mm-hmm. for rebellion is as the sin of divination, mm-hmm. which is necromancy and mediums. Yeah. And the presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Mm-hmm. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So you heard the reference of divination. Yeah, and I was actually thinking while while you were reading that, it seems to be a, a blasphemy specifically against the Spirit of God. Yeah. Because when you when you think about going for an intercessor or going for someone to communicate, mm-hmm. what is it that the Spirit of God is called to do? Mm-hmm. He intercedes for us. He's mm-hmm. the one who reveals truth to us. And so to seek after another spirit essentially mm-hmm. is to look at him and call him insufficient, mm-hmm. which Jesus condemns with probably the harshest statement that you can find in Scripture. Which is? Which is blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Essentially, you're calling him a liar. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The spirit of truth. Yeah. Uh, divination refers to, and picking up with John's comments, so divination refers to trying to get revelation about the future and about God's secret plans by using demonic means or means that involve transactions with the dead. Samuel says it is, in essence, rejecting the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. The Lord's word is not enough. Samuel says that Saul's disobedience, therefore, is like divination. It's like idolatry. He puts divination and idolatry in the same category, and that's the root issue in using mediums and necromancer. It puts the mediums and necromancers in the place where God belongs. God tells us as much as he wants us to know about the secret counsel of his plans for the future. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Comments? I mean, it's I hard to refute any of that, right? It's like no, yes and amen. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the aim to know more I mean, we do this, right? So, like, we think about providence, and part of providence is trusting in it, mm-hmm. right? So, like, we trust in God's providence with an expectation that God is actually working together for our good, and divination is essentially a rebuttal of that trust. Mm. Oh, that's certainly I, right. I, I, yeah. need, I, I don't have to know what's right. to come because right. I know the God who is ultimately that's bringing right. it. That's right. Which is where I was kind of getting with, like, we have those desires, even if our desires aren't all the way to divination right like we have we often you have a longing to know are tempted toward yeah. like what god has provided me is not enough mm-hmm. how can i get more and even think about the way that we i think this one of the ways we see that perhaps not done in an ungodly way is when we think about how men interpret the book of revelation mm-hmm. we are always trying to right. piece we want this to read together. it while holding our newspaper yeah yeah and make right. us like, the protagonist absolutely yeah how, how can i fit in this That's story right, right now yeah. So, picking back up with John's comments, he says, when we get to 1 Samuel 28, we see that this is exactly what Saul does. He does this He does this abomination. Even though he has already cast out all the medians from the kingdom, he disguises himself. Mm. He goes at night, so he knows he's doing a great evil, but he is sunk this low. He asks the medium, which is the witch of Endor, the medium, the necromancer, to call up Samuel from the dead. Samuel has died in the meantime. She does it. He sees him. She sees him. They know what's happening. Samuel confronts him and predicts he's going to die in the battle because he's broken the law of God at every level and sunk to degradation now of using an illegal medium. Mm -hmm. This is the bottom of Saul's degradation, and that's the point of this chapter. He has sunk this low in spite of all of God's privileges to him. In In his next battle with the Philistines, he is a dead man. The point of this chapter, John continues, the point of this chapter is not that necromancy and divination or the work of mediums is impossible, mm. but that is to be avoided at all costs by God's people because it is an assault on God's wisdom and authority and love and is therefore in the category of idolatry and rebellion and abomination. Mm. So, so in closing, John says, the Christians 
answer to witches and mediums and sorcerers and charmers and necromancers and the users of omens and divination and Ouija boards or anything like that. The answer is not that such things are unreal or impossible. Mm -hmm. We're not secularist. Yeah. We're supernaturalist. The point is not that they're unreal, but that you should not in any case participate in them. They are evil. Mm -hmm. They're idolatry. They're rebellious. They're abominable. And we're using all the words that the Bible uses. And for that reason, they are to be renounced by the people of God. Those who use them are to be prayed for and pleaded for to step away from that kind of abomination. Thoughts? I mean, for me, I think one of the things he's getting after, and rightly so, is that we can become so secular that our culture essentially denies all supernatural. That's right. That we essentially make sin laughable, mm. right? So someone comes and says, oh, I'm involved in divination or something of that nature. Like, I went and got my palm read. Like, I remember in high school, I had friends who went and got their palm read. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, because even then, like, if we believe the Bible, we understand that there are spiritual forces at play. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be an interaction with something. That's right. Yeah, and it must be an interaction then yeah. with something demonic. Yeah. Um, Blake, anything? I just think that, like, that whole conversation about we're not secularist, we're supernaturalist, like, to, to say that these kinds of things don't exist is, like, like we believe in the resurrection. That's right. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's just, I do like the distinction of, it's not that they don't exist, it's that we, we have to be on guard against yeah. these right. things. Right, right. Um, so back to my personal example, one of the conversations that this individual was describing to me was uh, that the conversation moved into, you don't believe that the dead bring back signs for you with uh, birds and creatures and living things and, and seeing like signs within creation. So one item, in my opinion, that John failed to mention in the previous quote is the widely held belief by the culture at large of the sign of the red cardinal. So are, are either of you familiar with the sign of the red cardinal? Vaguely. What about you? Thoroughly. Okay, well let me let me just let me let me clarify for yeah. for me and Blake, because Blake, I'm I'm with you. This this was kind of a, a new endeavor. Uh, and for our listening audience, uh, and I'll read uh, I'm gonna read from a internet source which is a US based psychic organization and I'm not gonna give you their website address for numerous reasons. <laughs> <laughs> you just trust me, I'm quoting correctly here. Uh, the word cardinal comes from the Latin word cardo, which means uh, hinge or axis, mm. like a door's hinge. The cardinal is the hinge on the doorway between earth and spirit. Oh, my gosh. And the, the spirit is capital S, just for those that care. They, the cardinal, carry messages back and forth. The appearance of a cardinal may suggest that the spirit is hoping to hear from you. This can be a good time to re-explore or recommit to your prayer life. And I quote that from an internet source. Blake, thoughts? Well, I saw a cardinal in my backyard yesterday. <laughs> wow. So now I'm kind of rethinking my prayer life. <laughs> um, no, I don't. That's interesting that people think that. I don't have many thoughts other than yeah. that. Lawson, any so no joke. This is what's funny about this. So there's a member of our congregation who literally every time I see a cardinal, because this is such a pet peeve for her, I take a picture of it and send it to her. Oh, wow. <laughs> because because it drives her crazy. But the other day, we I, there was a, a dead cardinal in our parking lot. Dang. And so I took a picture that. of it and sent it to her just because it's enjoyable. 
right, Sorry, to okay. laugh at something so silly. Right. The concept of anything creaturely uh, being the the ground in between life and death is folly. And then secondly, what a hopeless fate to say yeah. that yeah. my grandmother or something yeah. that was in Christ is at my back door right. as a cardinal. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I bring this up because I think for this individual that was seeking my advice and counsel on unpacking the situation, right? Describing the narrative, this is what happened. For me, like I think the great renewing of my mind or coming back to truth, right, was these things are not impossible. Mm. To be charitable mm-hmm. with with our audience and to not refute the experience or the beliefs held by the culture and call them, you know, not possible. Mm. And so it's like those three things, like I think, you know, for 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 me and the individual, you know, it was it was it was interesting to unpack and look back, right? 2020 is always hindsight and perfect. But it's like, you know, it's obviously, I, th- I think we have to be ready, right? When mm-hmm. these things, as laughable and as silly as they are, when you get into a conversation, I think we have to be very guarded to not operate with, well, you, that's, you know, it just, to me, it just, it, it, it makes me want to giggle and laugh because I, I know the truth of the gospel. Yeah. And so anything so far, to, to, to your point, Lawson, Anything so far removed as, as like I have this perfect hope, yeah. and here you have this hopelessness. Like mm. God is totally removed, yeah. you know, and you're left with the the fleetings of a bird, yeah. you know, bringing you symbols from like how you're supposed to live your life. Yeah. It does invoke laughter. Yeah, it does. But it does. I think I think the reality is like to know that that is a wildly held belief, and to be ready to operate not in laughter and in impossibility. Yeah but yet calling idolatry what yeah. it is. And just just one more thought. What's interesting about um, seeking out information from the dead is you might actually get true information. Yeah. So, for instance, the demonic forces in Jesus' day would say, would call Jesus and say who he was. Mm-hmm. Like they knew who he was. And they said true things, mm-hmm. but the intent, right? Like, what's the intent behind it? The intent is, in essence, deception because he's the father of mm-hmm. lies, and all those that are of him are doing just that. They're lying in some capacity. And so it's just, it's an interesting point to think that they may tell you something true, but the end is ultimately deceit. That's right. Um, so moving back to First Samuel 28, and I, I'll ask you, Lawson, where does Samuel come up from? Sheol. Like, would you hold the same thing? Yes. You know, for me, I think that's like a that's a missing biblical category. For yeah, a lot I agree. Of folks, you know, it's like so. How in the world, right? When you're operating, you know, uh, in current context, in current time, place, continuum with the with the revelation of Scripture, and then looking back historical, right after mm-hmm. the manifestation, incarnation, manifestation, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, you know, how do you operate with Samuel coming up from the dead? And I think a lot of people look at him and go. I must, again, bring a Western bias and not uphold the whole canon of Scripture together in one accord. And it's like, I I think you can get even yourself, you know, kind of maybe confused a bit on where is Samuel coming up Mm -hmm. from. It's like, what what are we reading now? A myth? Yeah. You know, it's like, I think that's maybe by and large, like what people are encountering. Thoughts on that? Specifically, what Sheol or yeah, just Sheol. I mean, what's I mean, why is it important for the believer to be, I guess, a student of Scripture and to know Sheol and the category thereof? Well, I think I think you've got. If you don't understand Sheol, you probably don't understand Romans three, mm. which is that he passed over former sins, mm. right? So there was a place 
where those who were looking forward to Christ by faith were held up until Christ, up until uh, payment and payment for sin was accomplished, right? Up until justification was accomplished. And so at Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, then we have the payment actually uh, transacted. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then and only then Mm -hmm. can those people be in the presence of the Lord, right? So now on the other side of justification, we have um, the confidence to say absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Old Testament saints did not have that. That's right. Um, the scripture also upholds for us, blessed is the Lord, blessed are those yeah, who die from uh, now on. That's right. And so, uh, what, what's the other word, just for the audience and for us? Like, what's the other word? And, and I know it, I'm just going to ask you, Lawson, what's the other word that the Bible it. uses to, to the name for Sheol, for believers? Paradise. Also, Abraham's, Abraham's bosom. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, you have, you have Lazarus and the rich man is the story we go to to look mm-hmm. at this because it's not a parable. It has nothing in common with a parable. Right. Lazarus and the rich man, he goes down. The rich man goes to uh, a place of torment. Mm-hmm. Lazarus can see him, mm-hmm. um, but he is in Abraham's bosom. The reason we call it paradise, I think, or the reason I always think about it is because when Jesus looks at the thief on the cross, he says, today you will be with mm-hmm. me in paradise, mm-hmm. which is distinct from mm-hmm. sitting in, in eternity with That's the right. Father. That's yeah. right. Um, that place is empty now. Yes, yeah, certainly. Mm. So, Except for the torment side. Right. And in Revelation, Christ shows that he has the keys. Yeah. Right. And hell isn't even a thing yet. Right. It's on its way. So uh, what do you mean by that? I mean that there will be a moment where death, Hades, and the sea are thrown into the lake of fire. Certainly. When we speak of hell, we're talking about the most of the time people are talking about the lake of fire. Right. And that's to come. There is that is the final judgment is where hell Definitely. essentially begins. Definitely. But if you die now, apart you go from into the place Lord, to you go to yes, which is a terrible conscious place, torment. Right? And we're okay to call that place hell. Yeah. Certainly. Um, so I'm going to get in the weeds. Again. Of course. Of course. Saul is documented as committing suicide, right? Because he goes into the battle. I can't remember. He's wounded. Oh, yeah. And he falls on his own sword. Mm -hmm. And so hotly debated within Christendom, where is Saul? Is he in the presence of the Lord? Blake goes first. He in Christ? Blake goes first. Blake, your opinion. You ever thought this through? I think the testimony of Saul's life, like if we're— if we're thinking perseverance, then no. No, you would say no, he's not. He's a part. This is one of those he things of holding with open hands, but yeah. yes, okay. Okay. at this moment, that's okay. that's my thought. So I think so. I think he I think he will be in heaven. I do. Um, he is. He is, yeah, yeah. So he is he is with the Lord present. Right. Absent from the body, but present right. with the Lord. Um, that would be my argument. And when he died, he was held in Abraham's yeah. bosom, and yeah. Christ actually. Yeah. But I, but I will say, I go back and forth on this. Like regularly, I go back and forth. But when you look at the moment that Saul becomes like King Saul, mm-hmm. it seems to be regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the spirit being taken away from him, I think, would be the anointing spirit of kingship. Yeah. But like I said, we don't. We don't it was have to even. This. You know, it's interesting when you think about the witch of Endor. Yeah. Even then, God ministered to Saul through that. Yeah, because he, because Samuel says, "Today you will be with me," right? Yes. And so, if, yes. and this really does come. And into, Jonathan yeah. and you will die together, yeah. Yeah. And, and in death and in life be together, yeah. right? And so, this is where the debate comes: Was that actually Samuel, or was that a demon? Because mm. if it was a demon, and he says, "Today you'll be with me," certainly. So, so I would argue that it was Samuel, but yeah, because yeah. Samuel comes up and says, "If you look, go back and read the scriptures," and it, the witch says, is crazy surprised. Yeah, she's, she's so blown confused. away. <laughs> she's been charlatan people's money yeah. out of their pocket left and right. She's like, "Oh goodness." <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but so just as a, so I had this conversation with Drew Huckabee, one of our other elders. Uh, we, were, we went uh, and shot the other day, and on the way back, he said he was thinking about that in particular. And so we had this conversation. Just interesting. Interesting that it came okay. up. Okay. Yeah, so um, when Samuel comes up, he says, why did you, why did you awake me of my rest, right? And so yeah, to like, me, it's like, it's clearly Samuel. He's yeah. clearly in Abraham's bosom. He clearly has his hope set on the future yeah. where Christ will indeed take all of those and ascend them to the throne room. And yeah. he's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm up? I'm seeing you. This ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. And I'm very annoyed out of this. You know? How dare you? Yeah. Who do you think you yeah, are? Yeah, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? So uh, if you read further into the story, have you ever noticed at the end they share a meal together? Yeah, they actually break bread and drink wine. I think, and, and don't hold me to this. I mean, we can all go back and look at it, but I think it's worth going back and, and looking at it. There's something interesting there. That happens at the end of that divination session mm. that the Lord actually brings. I mean, my opinion is the Lord actually brings up Samuel, you know, that he actually gets information about how, how he will die. And, uh, anyways, they, they share this interesting meal. So, uh, that's it. Moving on. So, speaking of dead people. Speaking of dead speaking people. Speaking of dead people. <laughs> do you think at a wise, and Blake, I'll, I'll ask you specifically, and then Lawson, you can add in. Do you think it a wise Christian strategy to avoid reading and studying living authors who write <laughs> contemporary biblical study books, commentaries, and the likes thereof because they are not yet dead? And so I ask this question because it seems, and yes, I said seems, so th- this, is a, this is rife with my opinion, that we are witnessing an acceleration of the rate by which once formerly sound, living, contemporary biblical scholars are driving off the cliff of error and Mm. taking their living audiences with them. Given the ready access we have to historically sound biblical scholars who have run the race with endurance and and the whole body of their earthly work has stood the test of time, and guys, that's a nice way of saying they're dead. (laughs) Should we focus on only dead authors? And I I want to know, what's your opinion about studies organized by the church hmm. like incorporated through let's say a women's ministry or men's ministry and then do you have a separate opinion on for the case of the individual so really it's like what's your thoughts on you know that that whole you know that whole uh example for corporate church ministry and then also individually so yeah let me just start by saying as a church when we do anything like that it is if not equal to an endorsement, it's close, yeah. which which is scary to think about someone living, giving them a, a full endorsement. But I do think we have this ability to forget the sins of people who are dead. Like, we, we like their yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. so we kind of have yeah, this yeah. idea where, where it's like, you know... Like they're dead, so they're they're fine. They can't right. sin anymore. But like right. they did, right? And we 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 kind of don't take their whole body of yeah, work. Yeah, that's a that good argument, sense. no doubt. Um, and so, but that is the scary thing about a living author is they still have a bunch of sinning to do, mm. and we don't want to fully endorse that person. So that's for kind of like church wise. I think, I think we just have to be honest and clear about who these people are. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, like. Solomon had a lot of wise things to say, right. and he was led astray by right. his wives. And so I think like there's well, this... ter- even terrible people can say true things. True, and I think and I think so. There's kind of this caveat I think we have to have with all human authors, which mm-hmm. is they They're did not things and said things. You know, like if you you could be a great writer and a terrible pastor. Like I don't want to learn from you pastorally. That's who I was A-W-P. thinking of. I didn't yeah, want to yeah. name names, but you know, like 
there, there's a sense where you wrote really great things about the person of God, and then I don't know what you did with your people. Yeah. Uh, but I say for personally, I also think we've lost the art of being able to read something for what it's worth mm-hmm. and pick out what's good and mm-hmm. take take what's bad and forget mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's part of the polarization of our culture. But like, we've we've almost gotten to a point where you have to be perfect doctrinally with me, or I can't learn from you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a scary place to be, Certainly. which comes back to my, you know, hot heretical garbage mm-hmm. stamp. That, right, that it's forthcoming. Uh, you know, like, I think there are things we learn from people who are wrong, on, mm-hmm. dead wrong on a lot of mm-hmm. things. But as a, as a church, you know, I don't want to lift this forth to my people and right. say, right. study it and then learn. You know? Lawson, anything there to add? I mean... I do think I think what Blake said about what we, what we put forth to our congregation is an endorsement, mm-hmm. and that's and that is a weighty mm-hmm. weighty thought, and it is easier, and I feel safer more often than not to put forth dead men, mm-hmm. because I'm okay with the reality that that de- that um, that men sin. We know that to be a reality. My issue is when they delve off into heterodoxy or heresy, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, if a man fault, like so, I'll just one of my one of my favorite preachers that I've ever heard. I just he's incredible. Art Azardia, um, Art Azardia fell into um, sin multiple times. He, I mean, he he trespassed. He committed adultery. Um, but what's interesting about him, and this is this is an odd case, I think, in our day, because he's not like Joshua Harris, right, who is headlong into sin and then then just denounces the faith. Um, you know, he, he repented and has stepped away from the office of elder and is now just a, a member of a congregation and being a follower of Jesus as one who has sinned, right? Mm-hmm. As we all are. But it's, it's the delving into heresy that makes me so nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as you said, it's happening fast. Mm-hmm. It's happening so fast now mm-hmm. that to recommend somebody who is not tried and true. So maybe, maybe for me, I would say I'm okay recommending men who are living but I want to know that they have they have persevered in a at least in a decent amount of because the issue ultimately comes down to should you trust your pastor right because I'm not dead right and I mean I mean like Blake's not dead like I'm going to stand in that pulpit coming Sunday right and you're trusting me as an elder of this congregation but the reality is like I'm going to sin today yeah I'm going to sin tomorrow when but I was, by God's grace I won't fall into heresy certainly when I was thinking through these. Um, a verse had come to mind on this topic, and I'll, I'll share it with us. James three one, yeah, which it, which is a warning for uh, for us all. Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think for me, it's like we do well to judge and judge strictly, yeah, right, because that's the measure that the Lord uses. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with us judging and saying, nah, I'm going to do a hard pass there, and not have to to Lawson's point, not have to parse through heretical yeah. and true, right? Let's let's try to get, you know, folks that uh, uphold all truth. But yeah. to your points, it's it's difficult to do that sometimes. Um, and I, I think we mostly hear this in our music, right? Like if you think about your music, of the music of your church, mo- a lot of people's theology comes from what we sing. True. And so we have to be careful, but it, we are more careful about modern people that we sing mm-hmm. than necessarily dead people that we sing, if that makes sense. Certainly. So I think it's an interesting difference and the one other thing i'll add to that is there there are many people that i will recommend 
to our congregation that I do not agree with 100%. Yeah. I do not agree with John Piper on everything. Right. I don't agree with John MacArthur on everything. Right. But I will put those books in the hands of our people instantly right. because they exalt the gospel. They, they get all the essentials right. Um, they disagree in some areas that make me, I mean, I'm like, uh, I can see where that would lead you into error, mm-hmm. but it hasn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going back to your original statement, right? We, we want to be charitable. Certainly, yeah. Um, so next question, um, do angels and or demons interact or affect anything within the affairs of men? Lawson, yeah. you want to, yeah, yeah. So it, explain like, and I think this goes back to like helping us build our own biblical category, yeah, for that we are spiritual people, mm-hmm. right? And so thinking through, um, so I guess how, how how do angels? Do we have anything definitive that says this is how angels interact within the affairs of men? Hebrews one, which says they're messengers and they're guardians. Blake, what about you? I mean, thoughts on how, how do angel how, how do we look to scripture to see where angels? Cause I think there's some mystery here, right? There's for sure. There, there's not a way. There's not. There's no way that I can explain other than using the Bible to explain. So, any any scriptures for you come to mind? I mean, I think about when angels come to people in the scriptures, they are giving a revelation. Mm-hmm. But like, we have the full revelation, right? And so, I'm not necessarily. I'm not looking to an angel today. Mm-hmm. to give me something fresh from the mm-hmm. Lord. And I think that's the fear that I have in kind of just giving this blanket, yes, angels and demons speak to us or interact with us because there is also this depersonifying of sin in that you can say like a demon or the devil made me do it. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't me, it was something acting upon me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a a scary place to be. Almost using like a scapegoat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then with the whole angel part, like I think that can also be abused as saying like, you know, the spirit gave me a new word right. or an angel gave me a message. And, and, and I think the Bible upholds the word there. It's asceticism. Yeah. Right. It's Wouldn't that be assigning worship mm-hmm. to angelic, looking to the angel to be the mediator? You know, it's kind of like lost in everything you were saying about re- removing the spirit, right, and looking yeah. for... So would, would we say that someone who is, devo- you know, essentially not upholding the gospel but looking towards asceticism, are they, are they essentially accomplishing the same thing and ascribing to their, their behavior as holy? I think we're talking about Gnosticism. Asceticism is like the harming of self. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm off. You're, I think you, what you're thinking of is, is Paul and Colossians puts those yeah. two things together. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So asceticism and the... Uh, worship of angels yeah okay and i think i think we we must take it seriously because some church in the new testament you know specifically mm-hmm. the church of Colossae was doing it mm-hmm. and the only reason that i think we aren't tempted toward it is like we've been talking about we live in a secular society right where we don't think that that's a real thing right, right. And, and i would say that there are times where an angel of the light shows up and normally he brings a her- heretical doctrine mm-hmm. that is a false gospel mm-hmm. that spirals into a cult right that's mm-hmm. normative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When an angel of the light arrives, normally a cult erupts. Yeah, so the, a lot of my questions are, are coming from a real experience. Yeah, this is really this interesting week, to right? me. You had a weird week. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, my thought here was, uh, and this, indiv- this individual, we had a conversation about, 
you know, are, are the demons not already in hell? Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, no, they're not. They're they're actually they are the they are they are the spirits at work now in the sons of disobedience, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we 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 uphold that this world uh, is go- uh, governs probably a bad world, but the but the Depends power of the power of, of, the, of, the, air, of the air here. is is Satan and the legions of angels. And so the question was posed to me, well, how many are there? Hmm. A third. Yeah. And it was like <laughs> a third of what? It's yeah. like a third of legions. legions of angels, right. <laughs> and so um, the question was posed, well, what made those other angels not fall? This is interesting because if you look at Hebrews, you got a smile on your face, Lawson. Or, no, I want you to go. I'll go. Okay. And it says, <laughs> Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Yeah. So the gospel, mm-hmm. their, their service in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And we would say, I think we're right to say, that all angels did not fall. No, of course not. Because they were elect. Mm -hmm. And and they are referred to to as elect angels. And to serve who? To serve the elect of God. And so this person asked me, how do they serve? Mm. And you know what my question was? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there's a really interesting study. So I I told you last week that I'm reading Stephen Charnock's um, The Existence and Attributes of God. And he makes an argument that I think is really interesting that um, that the reason we see the mercy of God and the grace of God so distinctly in the human race is because we see a dissonance. It is not extended to those who do not have a mediator. Mm. It is not extended to the angelic beings who fell. Mm. Uh, God's mercy and grace and patience are only extended mm. for those to those whom God has made mm. atonement, that God has sent a mediator. And so there we see the gospel even a bit more fully. So I think my audience that I was interacting with this week was uh, confused about, and God knows how to keep demons in chains. And so I, for me, it's like, you know, I think that's where they were operating from. Are they not already in chains? And so I think it's the way to demonstrate that they are not yet in chains, but God swore. Yeah, and Jude, He Jude will not change his to, mind, yeah. Yeah. and he will, in fact, bring mm-hmm. it to pass. Well, it's important to remember that hell was originally created for Satan and his angels. Right. And, and certainly, the sons of the sons of the devil mm. will go there as well. Definitely. Mm. So, speaking about signs, and signs of creation, and seeking signs, um, and all uh, everywhere that we go, right, the world goes to seek signs. I, I'll I'll read us a sign from Scripture, and it's Romans one eighteen through twenty two. Mm. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." I want to thank my fellow elders, Blake McCullough and Lawson Harlow, for spending time laughing, sharing, and delving into some pretty obscure but very relevant biblical topics. My brothers and my friends, Godspeed.